Welcome to the All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. We are committed to being rooted in the scriptures and the historic Christian faith and to kingdom life in the power of the Holy Spirit. As you listen, may you be encouraged and empowered to know the Lord Jesus and make Him known. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. Well, good morning. I'm sitting today, and I will tell you why in a little bit, but um, I'm glad to be with you. Uh, We're going to kind of jump off from where we were last week with Harrison talking about formation. Um, We're going to talk about formation today, and he talked last week about beholding the glory of God. And he was in 2 Corinthians 3.18, so I just want to read that as a starting point. It says, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. So we are being transformed into the image of God, into the image, the likeness of Jesus. And as Christians, we, we know this, we hear this, that we're being formed into the image of Christ, to be like Christ. So spiritual formation is, there's this definition from John Ortberg, who is an author and a speaker who focuses a lot on spiritual formation. And this is what he says, the definition of spiritual formation is, the process by which our inner self is given a particular character or shape. So spiritual formation is the process that we engage in as we become disciples of Jesus. And formation is happening all of the time. We're always being formed. I think sometimes we put this phrase, spiritual formation, in a separate category, like it's for AP students, for the honors Christians. Um, for the people who like to read old, old things. But actually, it's for all of us. Um, It's for everyone, because everyone is being formed by something. I think also there is this idea sometimes that spiritual formation is almost like a next step piece. Um, Almost like step one is accept Jesus, and you're welcome to stay there, or if you want the advanced route, then you could actually follow Jesus and be formed by him. Uh, John Mark Comer, who is the author of Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which probably many of you have read, it's amazing, Um, he talks a lot about spiritual formation, and he said this A couple years ago, I heard him say this at a pastor's conference. He said, We have fashioned Christianity in a way where people can become Christians without actually becoming disciples of Jesus. But to claim Christianity means that we are submitted to following Jesus. 
We are being transformed into his image. And we're all being formed by something and into something. We're spending our time being formed whether we do it intentionally or unintentionally. It happens by the music we listen to, the shows that we watch, the books that we read, the people that we're around, the way we spend our time and our money, the content that we ingest. We're being formed into a kind of person by those things. I remember back in, this is confession hour, um, I remember back in, I think it was 2009, Colt and I were newly married. I was teaching. He was working at Chesapeake. And so I had the summers off, so I would get what I needed to get done. I'd get it done around the house. And then I would watch Bravo, the station, Bravo. Um, And I don't know if you know what's on Bravo, but there's some stuff on Bravo. But what I watched on Bravo was uh, The Real Housewives of New Jersey. Now, if you were around in 2009, then you know the cast. You know who I'm talking about. Uh, And it was just, it was, you know, it was entertaining. That's in my mind. I thought this is just a way to move the time along. It was funny. But one day, Colt came home from work, and he said, you act differently when you watch that show. It does something to you. And he was right. I know it's cliche, but truly, garbage in, garbage out. And I think sometimes as adults, we think we have a little more control over whether or not that's true, but it is true. And I really did need to stop watching that show because whether I wanted it to affect me or not, the real housewives of New Jersey were forming me into a kind of person that I I wasn't really wanting to become. So I give that as an example to say that I think often we dismiss things that are forming us because they're not that big of a deal or they're just entertaining but we are being formed by many, many things. So the question is, what are you being formed by? And a way that we can figure this out is by looking at what is in proximity to us. Where do we spend our time, like actual physical locations? What people do you find yourself around? What kinds of conversations do you hear yourself having? What kind of content are you taking in? And there might be a temptation in this moment to already feel like this is very extreme and I don't really want to listen to this message today. But I would like to say that The measures and the process that Jesus went through and endured so that we could experience abundant life and eternal life, that was really extreme. So what Jesus has done has been very extreme, and what he continues to do is very extreme. And when Jesus invites people to follow him, there is cost every time. 
There's cost every time. And so I want us to look at this passage and I want us to look at it with the lens of formation. And I want us to think about what it means to be formed into the image of Jesus. So we're going to look at how Christ is formed in us. So this is 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. This is a letter written by Paul to the church in Corinth, and it's, the whole thing is a letter of love and exhortation, calling the people to the way of Jesus to the Christian way of life. So let's look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This treasure that he's referring to, if we look before this verse, we see that it is the light and the power that is within us, which is the light of Jesus. The treasure is referring to the Spirit of God within us that dwells in us. And it reveals and forms the person of Jesus in us. And this treasure is in jars of clay. Or another translation says, perishable containers. And this is referring to our weak bodies. Our bodies are weak. But Paul says it's better to be weak. In 2 Corinthians, he said, this is him talking about what the Lord is saying, but he, the Lord, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, now Paul's saying, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Christ is formed in us in our weakness. The power of God is made perfect in our weakness. And the container for this treasure, which is the presence and the power of God, is weakness. That is the container for it. There's not another kind of container for it. His perfect power will not be contained in our self-reliance. Dependence on the Lord is a necessary part of our faith. 
if we want to house the light and the power of Jesus, which is the treasure, then we live in this truth and acknowledgement that this is a weak container. And it's for our good. Because it's a protection for us from pride and it motivates us to stay connected to God who is the source. And so me sitting up here today as the Lord would work it out, this date has been on the calendar for a while. I knew I was going to preach this date. Um, but this is a picture of my own weakness in this season. And there are different pieces of this story that I'll tell today. But the long story short is that in July, I damaged a nerve in my left inner ear. And if you know about the ear, then you know that it plays a vital role in the way that we balance and we manage our equilibrium. And so after many, many months of doctors and tests and things, finally got the diagnosis um, in September. I'm currently in vestibular physical therapy so that my brain can reteach my ear and my body how to balance, how to register the information correctly. So for over three months, I've been living in this place of weakness. At times it feels like, it can feel like I'm walking around on a boat. I don't have as much stamina. My eyes feel heavy, I get overstimulated quickly. Things like the grocery store are hard. And so I can't do a lot of the, the kinds of things that I used to be able to do. I can do a lot of things and I'm thankful and grateful and I am thankful by the grace of God that I'm able to stay in a place of gratitude. But there are a lot of things that are not the same right now. And I'm a doer. I love to get things done. And so I have been slowed down in many areas. And there's hope that these things might one day be restored and work themselves out. But for now, I live in a place of weakness. And I think about Gideon in the book of Judges. God decreased Gideon's army from 32,000 soldiers to 300 soldiers. He intentionally weakened his army. And one commentary said, God wanted the odds so bad that the victory would clearly be his alone. And I have been experiencing, experiencing the weakening of my army. And I know that with this many people in the room, there are others of you that are having that same experience. You are in that season. You are in a weak season. Where you get to the end of the day and you think, I only made it through with the help of the Lord, with the grace of the Lord. 
but God forms us in this weak place. He is building something in us. And when we are weak, we are strong. When we are weak, we depend on God, and that is the definition of strength. And all of it is for this purpose, which it says in verse 7, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So Christ is formed in us, in our weakness. Verses 8 and 9, they say, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And as I studied this passage, I noticed the pairing of these two words in each set. And in each pair, the first one is something that we will experience. It's part of us being human. We will experience being pressed on every side, being perplexed, being persecuted, being struck down. But the second word as one commentary says, limits the consequences. There is a limit. You do not have to be crushed. You do not have to be in despair. You are not abandoned. You will not be destroyed. And I also see the second word as us almost getting top secret information for what would the enemy's strategy be? Because you know that when you're hard-pressed on every side, the temptation is to believe that you are being crushed. The enemy will lie to you and say, you are being crushed. And when you're perplexed, what is God doing? Why is this happening to me? I don't understand. The lie is then to despair, to have no hope. When you're persecuted, the lie is that you're alone. You're isolated, you're abandoned. When you're struck down, the lie is that you are being destroyed. And I've seen this play out in these last few months with this being perplexed. And if I'm not careful in this place of being perplexed, I will be led into despair. And despair is dark. It's this feeling of looking around and believing that you are absolutely without a hope. And the kinds of things that you hear in this place are, you will not get out of this situation. You will never be healed. Things will never be the same. There's nothing that can be done. That's what despair sounds like. Despair is a complete loss or absence of hope. So in this place of being perplexed, it is absolutely necessary that I stay connected with God. That I come to Him with my questions. That I look at Him. Beholding God is the only way out of despair. It's the only way to battle. Instead of being perplexed at my circumstance, I can then be filled with the wonder of God. 
Instead of obsessing over the mystery of our circumstances, we can actually obsess over the mystery and the majesty of God. And this is our protection against despair, to gaze upon the Lord. Our help does not come from understanding our circumstance. Our help comes from the Lord. And I know that's an easy church answer, but what I can say is that on the days when I have felt like despair is right here, my only comfort has been to get in my closet and pray and cry and read the Psalms. That is my only comfort. And that is the only way out of despair. And in that place, formation is happening. In the place of suffering, Christ is forming us. When we experience difficulty and trial, which we will, just like the passage says, there is an invitation to allow Christ to be formed in us. We still have access to the treasure that's inside of us. The spirit of the living God is inside of me as I walk around unbalanced. Christ is being formed in me in my place of suffering. And in our suffering, the reward is that we know him. It is not that we understand our circumstance. I do not see in scripture that understanding our suffering is a way out of it or that it's even the goal. But what I do read is lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So the reward of suffering is not even to come out on the other side. Pleasant circumstances are not the goal. John Ortberg said, good circumstances are not an adequate foundation on which to build a life. When we suffer and we walk through difficulty, the invitation is to know him, to share in something with him. We know him in the suffering. The reward is not overcoming the suffering, although it's really exciting and it's really wonderful when that gets to happen. But the reward is Jesus. So Christ is formed in us in our trials and suffering. The damage to my ear happened in July when I dove in the pool a few times. And the next day I woke up and everything was off. But the reason that I dove in the pool, because I don't normally, uh, was actually because of some themes that we were praying around in June. I have a Wednesday morning prayer group that meets in the summers. And so we were praying a lot around childlikeness and joy and rest and play and talking about knowing God in those places. And so when the neighbors and the kids and everyone, let's all dive in the pool, I, I felt the Lord in that invitation. 
I felt his invitation in that. But where that has led me is suffering. And so one day back in September, I was journaling and I was talking to the Lord and I said, I know that you're not a tricky God. I don't see that in scripture that you trick people, but I feel like you tricked me. And I felt him bring to mind Psalm 23, 3, which says, he leads me down paths of righteousness, or he leads me down right paths. So this wasn't a wrong path. This wasn't a bad path. I didn't hear him wrong. And I felt him say to me, Think about where I led Jesus. His path led to the cross. Jesus is the model for our suffering. And when I say suffering, I'm not just talking about his death. He was in his lifetime, in his ministry, he was mocked, he was misunderstood. He was accused of things. And if we're being formed into the image of Jesus, then what we believe about suffering needs to be informed by the life of Jesus. When we suffer, Christ forms in us perseverance and endurance. And there is not another way for those things to be formed. I wish that there was, but there's not. James 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And this verse is speaking to formation, to be mature and complete. You are being formed into the image of Jesus. So Christ is formed in us in our weakness, in our trials and suffering. Let's look at verses 11, 10 and 11. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. One commentary said, this refers to the paradox of our being rightly related to God but exposed to physical problems because of a fallen world. We have eternal life, but we are physically dying. So our bodies share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. And in our world, we think of the order as life and then death. We live and then we die. 
But in the upside down kingdom, you cannot see life if you do not see death. If we die with him, we will rise with him. Romans 6, 8. I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 2, 20. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Death and then life. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When we choose Jesus, we choose death. It is a death to self every day. And when Jesus went to pray to the Father on the Mount of Olives before he was crucified, he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. The prayer of Jesus is not my will, but yours be done. In the life of Jesus, we see him submit to the will of God above his own desire. So Jesus showed us what it means to die to self, to die to your own desire for the sake of life being revealed on the other side. Christ is formed in us in our death to self. We become like Christ as we carry his death in our bodies. And this word death is referring to a present tense dying. It is not a one and done. It is a putting to death. There is an over and over nature to this kind of death. And we see it in the word always. For we who are alive are always being given over to death. The call of Jesus is a call to daily death of self. And this attitude is the exact opposite of what our culture would encourage. So this is not the popular motivational message of our world. But not my will, but yours be done is the daily prayer. Because Jesus is our model. In dying to self, we will experience life. What happens when we die to self is that we become alive in Jesus. We're free. We're free from the bondage of our own flesh and our own, own sinful desires. We think that having desire is us exercising our freedom, but actually we are slaves to that desire. And I'm not talking about all desire. I'm not saying all desire is bad. I'm talking about the desire of the flesh, sinful desire. When we lay down our own will and our own desire down to surrender all to the Lord, we become free. There's a book that Kelly Glass recommended to me several months ago, and um, I've been reading it along this journey, and it's, it's been like a companion 
Probably many of you have read it. It's called Hind's Feet on High Places. And I know I just heard a collective like, mmm, yes, <laughs> it's so good. Uh, it's an allegory of what must happen in our spiritual journey if we are going to be taken to high places with the Lord. And this is what the author writes in the preface. And I have it up there so you can read it. It's kind of a long quote, but I think it's really good. But the high places of victory and union with Christ cannot be reached by any me mental reckoning of self to be dead to sin or by seeking to devise some way or discipline by which the will can be crucified. The only way is by learning to accept day by day the actual conditions and tests permitted by God by a continually repeated laying down of our own will and acceptance of his as it is presented to us in the form of the people with whom we have to live and work and in the things which happen to us. Every acceptance of his will becomes an altar of sacrifice and every such surrender and abandonment of ourselves to his will is a means of furthering us on the way to the high places to which he desires to bring every child of his while they are still living on earth. So Christ is formed in us, in our weakness, in our trials and suffering, and in our death to self. So this last verse, really quickly, and then we'll close. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And the reason Paul is saying that is because there was a resistance to this message regarding suffering. Some people rejected this as being the definition of victory, to suffer. So this is Paul trying to clearly say that life really does come from death. And in this case, through the work and the suffering of Paul, many were able to experience life. So it's not an arrogant thing. It's just Paul trying to one more time say that life does come from death, that those are the kingdom economics. Life comes from death. So to wrap up, the whole thing is about Jesus. All of this, this world, what we're doing, why we're here, it's so that we know Jesus. It's the aim and it's the reward. And to be formed into his image means that we become like him. And to become like Jesus, we must know him. And our prayer can be what Paul writes in Philippians, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so as we respond today, I just want to invite you to pause and think about what it is that the Lord is inviting you into today. 
for some of you, maybe the invitation is to, for the first time, actually receive Jesus and receive him as Lord and say, I want to know you and I receive your work on the cross. For some of you, that is today. For some of you, maybe it's just to wake up. There's a waking up that the Lord is inviting you into. Revealing idols, revealing things that are maybe forming you, that he's saying, I don't want that to form you. And so there might be some confession and some repentance that the Lord is inviting you into. And there might be this invitation of just realizing what it is to die to self. Maybe you have a lot of plans for your life. And maybe the Lord is saying, I want you to lay those down. And I'm going to decide what the plans are for your life. And so maybe it's a laying down of your will and your desire today. But what I do know is that there is something for everyone. When we come together, if we just come and we leave and we haven't actually interacted with the Lord and heard from him, it kind of is like we're just checking a box. So my invitation for you is to just sit with the Lord and the band and the ministry team can come up. I want you to ask the Lord, what are you inviting me into? What are you asking me? What is my response? I believe there is a response for every single person. And as always, we have our, we'll have our prayer team up here. You can get prayer for any sickness or pain. We love to pray for those things every Sunday. Or anything else that's unrelated to anything I said. We, we have people that would love to pray with you and for you. Um, and Brandon and Colt, do you have something you're adding?